Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. 2,000 large global companies with $100 trillion of assets under management are committed to meeting net zero emissions targets agreed to at the recent COP26 conference. But a lack of corporate disclosure and ESG data consistency is limiting the amount of assets deployed to sustainable business activities, like, for example, managing climate risk. Arabesque, a global provider of ESG data, is leading the way in solving this dilemma. Today, I'm talking with Georg Kell, chairman of the board at Arabesque, about their ESG book, a new analytics platform that brings together a global alliance of stakeholders focused on shaping the future of ESG data. It's an exciting topic for our listeners, Georg Gell, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Well, thanks, Paul, for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, I'm glad you could join us today to talk about ESG Book, and I'd like to begin our conversation by focusing on what investors' focus is now on corporate sustainability reporting. It's driving change throughout the capital markets, as you know. So how will government regulation of this process in the developed markets impact company and industry valuations during 2022? Well, Paul, that's a very important question. I would say, first, it's very important to understand that behind the reporting is a big systemic change that has driven what I would call irreversible forces, meaning the economy is really going through a massive, massive transformation. And it's driven by arguably three, now four forces. Number one is technology. Technological change is clearly uh, speeding up. It's bringing transparency. It's allowing qualification, quantification. But technology itself is also the solution to many of the challenges we are facing. Number two, the whole natural boundary issue, the, the necessity to deal with climate change and related issues is becoming more and more apparent. Whether we like it or not, mm. nature is hitting back. So we have to do something. The third one is that social norms are changing. Younger people in particular rightly demand responsible, purpose-driven, cleaner practices than was the case, what I would call, in the industrial era, where externalities didn't matter at all. And then there's the fourth force you're asking, it's regulation. It is really kicking in now. We could even talk of an inflation of regulation. Just in the last couple of years, we analyzed uh, 80 economies around the world. Mm. More than 700 new regulations came in. 500 of them directly speak to ESG. Mm. Everybody has in mind the European Union, for example, with its taxonomy and so forth, but also in many other jurisdictions, including here in the US, government regulation is back in action. And it's becoming a, a new driver, if you so want, for disclosure. Because once it's regulated, you know, it's getting more serious and then the legal offices come in, compliance comes in, it's becoming a more complex story. So yes, regulation is becoming a major driver of sustainability, but sustainability itself is driven by technology, 
by the imperative to react to natural environment issues and to respond to social norms. So sustainability as a force of innovation continues to play in full swing, but reporting increasingly is also influenced by government regulations. Georg, that's a, a, a thanks for that uh, explanation. What we also know is that internally, companies are taking a much closer look because of regulation for, for one reason, but just otherwise from a competitive standpoint. They need to dig much deeper into their own data and metrics to learn about uh, ESG from the inside out. So how will your new platform, ESG Book, which you recently launched to further analytics platform development, how will it help companies make their ESG data more accessible, comparable, and transparent? Well, there's a simple answer. First, I want to explain a little bit the current uh, situation of the ESG rating uh, universe is unsatisfactory because uh, there's not a lot of comparability. There's lots of inconsistency. Some of the rating schemes are opaque. You cannot fully understand. You get a rating and you don't know what's behind it. Mm. It's also often outdated and backward looking. Uh, and that's the current state of play in the ESG data space. The ESG book gives companies the opportunities to be in charge of their own data, so no longer filling in spreadsheets and then giving away the intellectual property to rating agencies and later on running after it, trying to improve it, but rather you own the data, you control it, it's, you're the steward of your own data. So ownership back to the companies is the most important thing. With it comes that within companies, we witness in many countries, in the US, in Europe and elsewhere, that ESG data increasingly is important for CFOs. It's no longer a sustainability department that uses the data for annual glossy reports. The data in the ESG landscape is increasingly material, partly because of compliance reasons, but also because for future stewardship, uh, like decarbonization. So the ESG book gives CFOs a tool to have a one-stop shop for ESG data to control it. And by doing so, they can also better interact with stakeholders, especially with investors. Now, that brings up another whole set of questions, Georg, in my mind, around the lack of correlation across ESG ratings platforms. If companies are in charge of their own data, um, how will these rating platforms um, continue to, to use propri proprietary methodologies and be effective and uh, contribute to the overall ESG ratings process? Yeah, let me uh, explain the basic principles of the ESG book, then the answer is in it, and I will go into detail. Right. Uh, first, we came to the conclusion ESG data is becoming a public good, and we should make it publicly available. So whatever companies decide to make public should be made publicly available at no cost. And that is a, a big change to, to the current ESG data landscape, where ESG data is sold in the marketplace, hmm. we believe should be publicly available. Number two, I mentioned already companies are the stewards. Number three, uh, it should be transparent and the focus should be on raw data. 
So one should lay open what is behind the data. Companies can explain the data. They can add on explanation. They can even provide assurance from third parties for the data. But the focus has to be on raw data. So then analysts can use this raw data and plug it in according to their own preferences. And the fourth important characteristic is we are standard agnostic, meaning we realize the world is in flux. There are so many sustainability frameworks and standards by some estimates up to 800. Hmm. And for companies to choose and pick which one is increasingly becoming complicated and complex. The ESG book, by focusing on raw data, allows for multiple presentations and according to any standard out there. And that is a big, big win because it not only cuts uh, transactions, it also makes it much easier to focus on what really matters, and that is the raw data. So we believe that with this approach, we help to overcome some of the barriers and shortcomings of ESG data. Of course, we also actualize the data with news feeds from 80,000 sources around the world and social media. So we add a dynamic forward-looking momentum to the raw data and we combine the two then obviously. And that is part of it as well. Okay, so now we've got a data platform or multiple data platforms that are that are sharing information that companies are putting onto them and into them themselves. Um, will greater company focus on strategy as the driver of ESG integration raise awareness of material ESG issues at all levels of an organization across a specific organization? Do you perceive that as being part of this process over time? Yes, I think uh, I have to admit that we opportunistically uh, dive into that ongoing trend, which <laughs> undoubtedly is playing out already. I mean, uh, uh, there's no board of a Fortune 500 company anymore where sustainability issues are not the subject of discussions. Hmm. We have seen this evolution over the last couple of years. Ten years ago, it was an annex to the CEO office, often headquartered in communications. Then it moved up partly to compliance, partly to strategy. Now it's firmly in the leadership and at the board level. The issues, because behind it is this big transformation uh, driven by technology and the necessity to account for externalities increasingly, and that requires deep strategic rethinking. It requires a new approach to, to risk uh, uh, thinking and also seeing the new opportunity space fresh. So yes, absolutely, it goes in line. Actually, I predict that in a few years, ESG data will be equivalent to financial data. It will be as important and it will be fully integrated. It is this transition process we're in now because there's still not clarity. How do we measure exactly scope two emissions? How do we measure our supply chain vulnerabilities on human rights? And many more open questions. But over time, there will be an emerging consensus and these issues will be fully priced into valuations and into the information. And company leadership obviously wants to know where we stand on all these issues. So yes, the ESG book supports that trend, but it also benefits from that trend. Now, Georg, I think at least my impression of what you're describing here is really a focus on 
what uh, we call the circular economy and how that is developing now uh, as the next phase of, of global economic development. So how will the use of more ESG tools, practices, and measures, as you're describing, bring greater, greater clarity to circular economy developments in 2022? And if, you'd, if you could just give our listeners a brief description of the circular economy, that would be helpful. Yeah. Sure. I mean, all our grandfathers and grandmothers probably know exactly what a circular economy is because <laughs> they used to know how we reuse everything. And we, they didn't just throw away what they had. They took care of it and they repaired it. And it was only in the 1950s and 60s that we fell into this mass consumption uh, mindset. And it was cheaper to extract, process, produce, and throw away rather than to take care. And now we are facing... Uh, the headwinds on all fronts. Yeah. I mean, here living in New York, I throw away every day one full bag of garbage with mm. my family. Really kind of bad about it, but that's how things still go. Now, as vulnerabilities in the global supply chain, material prices, raw materials go up and preferences are shifting and the necessity to, to be more careful with natural assets and also the pricing of natural assets comes in becomes ever more expensive to dispose of garbage, for example, becomes also ever more expensive to pollute, and rightly so. So we have to rethink, and this happens when engineers start to redesign products so they can be used multiple times, and if they can no longer be used or repaired, then the material of which they are being produced can be decomposed and can be fed back into the economic cycle. The debate is happening now big scale in the petrochemical industry with plastics, for example. We all know about the challenge of plastic pollution in the water and, and elsewhere. Uh, it happens with metals already, and it happens with all materials. So we move away from a stock thinking to a flow thinking. And it's starting getting serious now, for example, in battery cell production, which is taking off in many parts now, where up to 90% of the precious material that goes into it will be reused, even when the battery is no longer in use. And it also expands into many other product segments. ESG has many factor measurements of efficiency of natural resources, uh, and it can approximate and help support measure the progress that is made in this regard. It's a very important new paradigm which is still in, a, in its infancy in many sectors, but you can sense it's really systemic because it's not just one sector. It's, I was on the call with Apple this morning, the supply chain head, and uh, they demonstrated their new uh, ambitious plan on, on the circular economy. I was really impressed, for example, hmm. uh, but I know it happens in other sectors as well. So yes, it's one of the key outcomes uh, that at the end of the day, we want to have an economy where material is not just extracted, processed, thrown away, and pollutes our environment, but rather it's being reused and stays in the flow. Okay. Now, our conversation today, Georg, is bringing up another thought that I didn't send to you as a, as a prepared question, but I'm reading every week now about consortiums. 
consortiums that are combinations of nonprofit organizations, for-profit organizations, regulatory agencies, all coming together and sharing data and information to facilitate this process of a, of a more clear circular economy development over time. Where do you see that trend going uh, over the next few oh, years? It's very exciting and beautiful. Uh, as a homo ludens, entrepreneurship mind uh, thinking person, I'm totally excited to see the many experiments and innovations going on. Uh, and they come often from unexpected parts. Uh, and one feature of this big transformation in which we are now from the old industrial era mindset to a future fit, which you cannot describe yet exactly, but we know it has to be clean, it has to be circular, and most likely powered by green electricity. Uh, we see a lot of new efforts taking place and also industry coupling, meaning companies are also much more willing now to move away from their conventional business models because they understand to, to master the future, they need new talents, they need new expertise, and they need to develop new technologies. So we are in a full cycle of new innovation now. And uh, I think this is exciting. It's beautiful and uh, deserves all our support and engagement. And where do you see Arabesque uh, playing uh, its important role in this process as the chairman of the board? How, how is your board directing the company's development for these purposes? Our main contribution hopefully will be that we apply technology AI, we didn't talk about autonomous investing, but it's part of our portfolio. Uh, E-book and related technology platforms to leverage the best knowledge for finance to make better informed decisions that will hopefully lead to better outcomes. So we define ourselves more and more as a technology company. I see. Well, Georg, where can Sustainable Finance podcast listeners learn more about the ESG book analytics platform at Arabesque? And how can they contact you about the topics we've discussed on today's programs? We'll be happy to uh, insert any links that you would like to into an attachments tab for the, for the podcast program when it's launched. Um, but how can folks get in touch with you and reach out to Arabesque in the meantime? Oh, thank you. That's very kind, Paul. Uh, on our website is all information. Just type in esgbook.org, for example. That's where the ESG book uh, is accessible, uh, accessible for everybody. Arabesque.org has all the overall information on the direction of the firm, including autonomous uh, investing, which is our AI platform. So we are extremely transparent about what we're doing. And we believe in today's uh, uh, digital age, you know, we have to also put publicly our products uh, on the platform. So it's all accessible. I'm New York based. My colleagues sit in Boston, mm -hmm. in uh, London, in Frankfurt, uh, Singapore and Tokyo. Uh, I'd be happy to direct any questions further. But I think the website is, gives clear uh, indications as well. Great. Well, thank you very much again, Georg Kell, Chairman of the Board at Arabesque and the Founding Director of the United Nations Global Compact. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Mm -hmm.